You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to Your Program is Your Ticket. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your Program is Your Ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, Your Program is Your Ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. Today's show is the continuation of a new series called Act Two Places. I'm bringing on a series of guests to discuss how COVID-19 affected them and their organizations. As you all know, we've been hit hard with a complete, hopefully temporary, change of lifestyle and business systems during this pandemic, and theater wasn't spared. In fact, theater has undergone one of its biggest shifts, if not the biggest shift, in the history of modern theater. This series gives theater folks an opportunity to discuss the effects of this shift on them and their organization. My guest on today's show is T.J. Dawson, executive producer and artistic director of 3D Theatricals, whose goal it is to provide Southern California with professional theater, including Broadway musicals, readings, and new works, in order to increase arts awareness throughout the community and nurture youth with culture and education. Some of their many, many past productions include Shrek the Musical, 42nd Street, Young Frankenstein, Million Dollar Quartet, Monty Python's Spamalot, The Full Monty, Sideshow, and the three productions I had the absolute pleasure to see, Ragtime, Funny Girl, and Legally Blonde the Musical, and they were wonderful. I brought TJ on the show to discuss 3D Theatrical's incredible history, how they responded to the COVID-19 crisis, and his overall thoughts on the effect of the pandemic on Southern California's theater community. Now, TJ was interviewed at a different time to accommodate schedules, so you may hear differences in audio here and there. Not that that takes away anything from his wonderful interview, I'm just letting you know up front, just in case things sound a little bit different from what you're hearing right now. So, let's bring him on. Hi, TJ, and welcome to your program, Is Your Ticket. Hey, how are you, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm just such a huge, huge fan of your theater company. I've been a fan for a long, long, long time. So, thank you. May I gush to get that out of the way? If you may, if you must. (laughs) If you must, right? Okay. Now, I've seen three of your productions, and um, I was so impressed with those. Now, the first one was Funny Girl. Now, um, I I love that show, and uh, I my friend Kent, who is always scouting out for productions, uh, said that um, the lead actress was getting phenomenal reviews for it, and it was beautifully directed. So we went and saw it, and oh, my God. Wow. Tell everybody who your lead actress was. Uh, Nicole Parker uh, of Mad TV fame. She's just amazing. Love her with all of my heart. She's incredible. Who knew? I mean, yeah. I know you, I know you knew, but I, yeah. I knew her from you. Know, just her, her uh, um, hilarious performances on, on Mad TV. And yeah. uh, she, she opens her mouth and to sing people. And this gorgeous, like, operatic voice comes out i was absolutely blown away i saw it twice oh i love it you know there was a funny story just to interject real quick she 
uh, same kind of situation. I did not know she had a voice like that. And someone had suggested her when we were looking for our Fanny Bryce. And um, I was like, but does she sing? Because I'd seen her on Mad TV and I thought, oh my gosh, she'd be perfect. And they're like, well, you played Alphaba on Broadway. And I was like, oh, okay, so she can sing. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I exactly. heard her sing Defying Gravity. And I, I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, we were so lucky to have her at the helm of that show. Yeah, that's that is a monster part, and she was uh, she was sensational. Now I do have to confess that uh, sometime after that show, I was having dinner with a group of friends in West Hollywood, and the guy who played Nikki Arnstein yeah. walked walked in with this a group of people, and I was oh. like, I told my husband and, and our friend Kent, who took us to see Funny Girl, was like, "Hey, um, isn't that the guy who played Nikki Arnstein?" Like, yeah, I think so. So. Uh. <laughs> I waited till they were finished eating. I was at least that, that you know, non-gush, if you will. And I walked over and I said, did you, did you play Nikki Arnstein in Funny Girl? He goes, yeah. And I said, oh, my God. I was, like, bowing. Uh, I Not an easy part that. either. Yeah, he was, he was great. I can't say enough good about that show. Um, but I'm going oh, to move you. on anyway. So whenever somebody, you know, every, like, every couple of, Every year, a couple of years or so, somebody brings up, wow, they should do Funny Girl on Broadway because, you know, they've never revived it. And like, who are right. we going to get to play? And I'm always like, Nicole Parker. Right? She yeah. She's just the best. I know they're reviving it with Adina Menzel once, you know, things, the world starts spinning again. But um, they, yeah, finally it's going to get its revival and uh, she is set to star in it. But I know that, like, Nicole and every other uh, a woman uh, that is appropriate and capable will be in for for Adina's um, standby. I'm I'm certain of it. So um, it'll be interesting to see who they select for that. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's finally getting a revival. It, it is long overdue. Well, I I didn't know that. And look at you. You're you're dropping uh, you're dropping items, and I love it. It's great. Um, one one more quick story because I have to I have to cop to this as well. Nicole did a show out here that I think she did in L.A. called These Paper Bullets. Oh, which uh-huh. was written by the guys who from Green Day, and I love Green Day. I loved American Idiot so much, yeah. and so I went and saw it. And um, afterwards, I. I had a Sharpie, I had my program, and I literally ran down the street. And she's in her wig, I think it was like mid, you know, matinee and evening performance. Literally ran down the street, and she was probably like, whoa, dude, back (laughs) off. But I gushed, and I'm like, oh my God, I so loved doing that. And um, anyway, so if you ever talked to her, that was I do talk to her. She actually lives so close now to um, our rehearsal. We want to work together again so badly she just became a mom not long ago and right um she's doing this hilarious online content right now um <laughs> she's just one of the the most amazing funniest incredible humans and when you meet her mom you understand why she's so amazing because her mom is unbelievable so anyway i could go on and on and on about mystical right. Park. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm i'm not finished gushing yet because um after that i saw Legally Blonde, the musical. Yeah. Now, I I love Legally Blonde. It is one of my top five favorite shows. I think it has one of the strongest book narratives in a musical ever. It's very rare that a musical tops the actual movie source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I it agree. was, I've seen it here in New York. I've seen it in London. 
uh, and I saw your fabulous production and then I saw it again at like the Thousand Oaks Civic Center. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful show. So good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fabulous. And then I saw, um, Ragtime. I had never seen Ragtime before. I had never read the book. I had not seen the movie. How, how did that escape you? Oh my gosh. I know. And it was one of those things. It was like for the longest time I chased Carrie the musical till I finally saw it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No. Um, and ragtime is one that like every single person, if you have seen a musical, if you like musicals, even if you don't like musicals, it's like required viewing. You have to see it. So, Oh, it was so, so good. So powerful. And, uh, you know, of course I was a mess at the end and, yes. <laughs> and, and, and just, just absolutely loved it. And that's one of the great things that I love about 3d theatricals is I love that you have your, your um, tagline, if you want, sorry, that's a writer term tagline um, is Broadway is closer than you think you yeah. have done this great service to Southern California where you've brought so many wonderful shows and 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 equaled their their quality Thank in you. Southern California. I mean, Thank you. wow, I, I, it's 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 wonderful. Uh, um, oh no, I appreciate that because I, like I said, I'd never seen Ragtime. I didn't know. No. And then after that, I moved to New York. So right. sorry, I only go back for weddings and funerals and there haven't been very many those lately. <laughs> well, so. thankfully not as many, not too many funerals. That's good. No. That's very good to hear. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. That's probably see every once in a while I do say something gauche and there it is. So let's make that my one gauche thing for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background individually, a little bit more detail. Sure. First of all, I got into the arts um, because my, I started when I went to high school, every coach from every team like surrounded me and was like, you know, you're gonna play for me. And I was just like, Oh, great. I, you know, you're a freshman and you're just excited to, you know, get in and accepted by people. And, um, my mom, my, my grandfather was a college football star and my mom wouldn't sign my release because she had seen the injuries and, and the hardships that my grandfather had experienced. And so, um, I, of course I get recruited by the performing arts (laughs) and, uh, we had a performing arts, um, like school, like, uh, actual like high school, um, on our campus. And so, um, I dove into that and, um, fell in love. I just had the, uh, I, I had a great time um, doing that and then uh, went to college and went on tour. And um, when I came home, I got an agent and, and I uh, started booking a lot uh, of musical theater. But uh, when it came to like film and TV uh, or the next like Broadway step type thing, I just kept, I was like the callback king. And then it was like, I was too old, not old enough, too tall, not tall enough, too fat, not fat enough, whatever it was, I was just not enough i was not like i was i just kept in this like no man's land and i was like well i have the the height and the body of an older person but my face at the time was you know i still have a baby face even though i i'm definitely feeling that i'm looking more my age these days (laughs) but um i um i was yeah i was getting a lot of that where i was just i looked too young and I remember going in for Avenue Q several times and the casting director, um, Cindy Tolan, who was amazing and um, 
she's like, oh my gosh, they love you. They love you. And blah, blah, blah. They, and they kept bringing me in and I kept not booking it. And I was like down to the final few people. And, and then um, I finally asked my agent, I was like, you need, I, I either need to figure out what I'm doing wrong to not book this job or I need to stop going in. Cause I feel like I'm now I'm wasting my time. And, um, and they were like, well, yeah, they just can't get past. Like, you just don't look like you're turning 33. Cause Brian at the beginning of the show says turning 33. And I was like, I'm not going to look like I'm 33 when I am 33. So I was like, I, I can't fix that. You know what I mean? I can't fix how old I look. So, um, I, I had a lot of those, a lot of close calls. I was down to the final couple people for a, a film, um, the lady killers, which, uh, I would have been opposite Tom, Tom Hanks in that movie. And I was, uh, down to the final couple for that. And one with Billy Bob Thornton, just a lot of like really big close calls that made me kind of reassess like what I should do. And I was like, I want to be a part of this industry, but I feel like my time as a performer is maybe not right now. So I started to direct and, and I started to uh, then kind of produce on a smaller level. And then uh, my non-union production of Sideshow back in, early 2000s that I did was the very first full non-union production to be reviewed by Backstage West at the time, Drama Log. Wow. Wow. And um, it, we ended up getting opposite uh, awards, opposite like the first national tour of Wicked at the Fantagious. And like, it was kind of a big deal there were, because it was a full non-union production and they never reviewed non-union theater. And um, so I, I did a lot of that. I, I love intimate theater with all of my heart. It's, because you you you're forced to get so super creative on how you like put shows into small spaces and yeah. oh and you get to do shows certain like some of my favorite shows are shows you can't do in large spaces you know what I mean like there's they just aren't, they aren't written for it they're not built for it or and certainly like audiences have an expectation if they go to a small intimate venue you can almost do anything and it's art. And then if you do that same show in a large proscenium space, it can be trashy or just too, too avant-garde or whatever it is. So um, I just love the, the freedom that you, uh, within these restrictions um, at intimate theater. But I got to a place where I was just, I felt I had learned all I could and I had taken it and pushed it to its limits um, for many years. And then I wanted to kind of advance myself into the next um stage and the next level of theater and I'd worked professionally as an actor at most of the regional theaters here in Southern California and so I thought oh well maybe I can get a job maybe I can either direct or, or get a job like to assist someone that's an established director at that level or what have you and it was virtually impossible because I was the kid that had been you know they'd give their you know I was I was like the kid they gave their first equity show to or whatever I was just I they couldn't possibly see me as someone because um, basically at the time it's less this now but you almost had to be from an original Broadway company of a show or like a dance captain or something they wanted those people to come and set the shows um, at the regional level so it just wasn't um, I wasn't in the in crowd for that particular thing so I thought well I need to create my own opportunity so I'm going to open up my own theater company and I had a meeting with my wife and my best friend and her husband and um and we all got together and they're involved with my siblings and we just kind of ended up um starting our own theater company 
to use names and use people that are, uh, you know, established people, but also to give opportunity to artists both on and off stage who were receiving the exact same answers I was receiving, which was no. And it wasn't because they weren't talented, but it's just because they weren't a part of that in crowd. And so I've been very proud to bring a lot of um, new talent, uh, both on and off stage that have gotten their like debut at 3D theatricals uh, regionally and have gone on to Broadway to other regional theaters, you know, using them because they've seen their work here or whatever the case may be. Um, And again, directors, same thing. So uh, choreographers, it's been um, so rewarding to like have gone through that as an artist and then now to be able to provide opportunity for artists um, is just, yeah, that's the biggest gift in the world. So to give someone a job, I love it. That's outstanding um, and and so needed uh, because it's it's so difficult to break into and into the business and those people need the support. Yes. Um, one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because I want to talk to people who um, maybe aren't going to get the big opportunities to be on, you know, the top of Playbill, what I want to do, I want to be able to support those particular companies and give them a voice. So I totally understand what you're saying. And I, I think that's amazing. And again, I, I honestly have, I can tell very, very little difference between your shows and Broadway shows. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's all, it's, um, yeah, we are, we are so blessed to get to do what we do and who we get to do it with. And, and people always ask me, like, how do I how do I do that? How do I create my own opportunity if they're in that same kind of boat? And I'm like, you look at a theater company like South Coast Repertory, Tony Award winning theater company, huge mega plex, you know, like, um, I mean, they're next to the you know Orange County Performing Arts Center and or Cedarstrom now. Um, and uh, they started out of the trunk of someone's car. Right. So, I mean, like it literally grew from a a touring Shakespearean troupe that was literally performing out of someone's car um, in various locations to a Tony Award winning major regional theater, multimillion dollar uh, company. So you literally be like, oh, I don't have enough money. I'm like, you don't need the money. You just literally need the right idea, the right audience, the right you know, magic to create, um, good art. And if it's good, all the other stuff follows, you know? So it's, um, yeah, I, I, I love the, the possibilities or when you see a success story like that, you know, that anything can happen if you put your mind to it. I had no idea about that with the, with South coast, uh, repertory theater. And I worked at a restaurant that was right across this bridgeway that crossed the street from the South Coast, yeah, yeah. South Coast Plaza yeah, Mall. South Coast Plaza. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, there's a, yeah, I think it's a, um, a claim jumper now, but yeah, I looked yeah. at it when it was an Italian restaurant called Beer Parties for years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. And I, I had no, I've seen so many things. I love that theater company. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they, they, they've done quite a bit. And they, uh, at times, will will have um, out of towns there that, that come to Broadway. And so yeah. it's, I always recommend to people, you know, go see a show. Even if it's new, you never know. You never know. You never know. How has 3D theatricals evolved since you've created it? Um, Let's say you created it out of a trunk of a car. Yeah. (laughs) How has it evolved since then? 
Well, you know, we started um, at a like 300, 350 seat theater in Santa Ana. It was, it was gorgeous. And um, it got sold. We were offered to purchase it um, and it wasn't the right fit and right timing for us. And so we, um, it was right at the end of our first season. We actually didn't get to finish our, our, um, our first initial season was, um, I think it was six shows. It was, it was going to end with a play. We were going to do all musicals and do one play a year. And um, we didn't get to produce our play. Um, so we ended. And um, as we became homeless, another uh, landmark regional theater company in Southern California, they were going to go into their 40th year, um, uh, Fullerton Civic Light Opera. Um, they had just announced that they were going to be unable to produce 40th season. And, um, we had, uh, approached, um, now both Jen and Griff have since passed away, but um, we approached uh, Griff Duncan, um, and said, Hey, we just became homeless and we want to keep producing. And, you know, they were announcing that they were going to be unable to produce. So we had a meeting with them and, um, they, uh, basically we produced their season. They, they had already, um, had taken the subscription money, for the next season from their subscribers. So the subscribers had already paid for the season that they had, that they were about to tell them that they were not going to get. And cause they got into an unfortunate, um, you know, financial situation. And we had, we stepped in and said, we will produce this season and not, we will honor those tickets for those subscribers. So we, um, took a big risk. Obviously it was a huge financial, risk to do that because they were also large show. one one show we had already pr- we produced the year prior um and um and then all our, it was you know the drowsy chaperone and all shook up which we had produced the year prior and um i think it was oh we did always patsy klein and um the wizard of oz and um so we uh yeah we dove in head first and produced the season and um there were, unfortunately, because the messaging wasn't very clear from Fullerton, there was a, a, a group of people that thought we came in and forced them out oh. and that we were the reason that they went under. Um, and I, that was, again, uh, not great messaging, you know, from, from Fullerton um, in that transition. There was... Um, uh, you know, they were devastated, of course. And so I think that was just, uh, you know, an unfortunate misunderstanding. But um, we would since, you know, we worked very hard to kind of make sure that people understood that that wasn't the case. And so most people um, really got on board with us very quickly. And we became, uh, we kind of, yeah, under, you know, we took that audience base. And then uh, a few years later, um uh, well, actually, a couple of years later, um, we're, uh, South Bay Civically, oh my gosh, Civic Light Opera of South Bay Cities, um, also known as uh, South Bay CLO, they um, also unfortunately went under due to financial difficulties. And that city went without um, any uh, musical theater for, I want to say, like a year or two. And then they reached out, they saw our programming. Was so we, we, we try to do something for everyone. So like, you'll have like sound of music and Avenue Q in like the same season, um, which is, you know, a lot of theaters don't do that. They'll do like mostly classics or mostly, you know, the more avant-garde shows. And like, we really wanted to um, 
please the subscriber audience, but also grow the new audience and right. get people to come in and who are not subscribers, but um, who still are avid theater goers. So um, they loved that. And so they asked us to come and tour our shows there. So then we started to take our shows. They would close in Fullerton and we would do a, um, a run in Redondo, uh, which was great. And then... Um, now, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Redondo, is that the theater you were referencing? Civic Light Opera South Bay Cities, yes. Sorry. Oh, okay. okay, so that's... Yeah, okay. They're located in Redondo Beach, and so we went I've to... I've been there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, went to the Redondo Beach Performing Arts Center, and um, we uh, did runs there, and then... Um, then not long after that, the city of Cerritos, um, reached out and they were super impressed with our work. They were getting, they were a touring house, but by the time they would get the tours, you know, after we'd go through LA and then go through Orange County. And by the time they would get them, they were like the one truck non-union, you know, tour, um, that often were lesser in quality and, and, um, their subscribers were getting so upset by the quality of the shows that they started to leave. And so they were getting in a, a bad position with, um, uh, their musical theater programming. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. And so they, they were like, well, the quality of your shows are so much better than what we're getting. And we went through like a 14 month um, period of uh, negotiations with them. And um, then we started, we left Fullerton um, because it was too close to Cerritos and the venue in Fullerton while we left was a historical landmark um, but because it was a historical landmark provided a lot of challenges, um, technically and, um, the seats were, you know, uh, old and uncomfortable. There was just a lot of that. So, uh, the bathroom situations were horrible for the, especially for the women's restroom. So, um, we had to, to leave, but actually you can see that venue. Um, it's, uh, if you watch, um, uh, Ben Platt had that show, The Politician. Um, the school that they shot at and the auditorium that they shot at is the Plumber Auditorium, which is where we uh, did our all those shows. So it was really cool to see that in, in use uh, in such a major way. Um, but anyway, so we... Uh, I'm sorry, is, is that where he sang Unworthy of Your Love with yes, Zoe yeah. Deutsch? Yes, yes, yes. That was the stage that we did... Uh, all of uh, all of our shows, and that's uh, was our second season through. Oh gosh, now I can't remember. It's, it's all running together, but uh, we were there for many many years, and love love the staff there. But anyway, so we uh, we then were doing Redondo Beach, and then going to Cerritos, and then Cerritos, uh, you know, had uh, made us an offer. Our Redondo Beach audience, unfortunately, just never grew because um, it they were burned in such a huge way by the uh our predecessor and i unfortunately bear in my opinion no resemblance to this man but i am a large white man (laughs) and he was also a large white man with a goatee 
And um, I would get people coming up to in the lobby saying, where's my money? Give me my money back. You have my money. And I was like, I'm not that man. I did not take your money. Hmm. I'm so sorry. I mean, it was just oh. wild. So they thought we were the same company under a different name. And, and we just couldn't get that community. And it was also like the city of Redondo Beach because they were undergoing some kind of legal with that allowed to like send out proper messaging to people and reach out to those patrons. It was kind of a bad situation. So we never were able to grow, grow there. And um, so we, when Cerritos had um, mentioned they wanted us to be exclusive with them, we, uh, they made a great offer for us. And, and uh, so we opted to make plan our roots there. And I think also like what was so hard is that we became the theater company of like, are you that theater company in? What, are you in Redondo? Are you in Fullerton? Who, who are you? Because know, like we were everywhere. You know, we moved more times in, um, you know, in a five or six year period than I think any theater company has probably had to do in the, a fifty year time span. You know what I mean? So we we really wanted to be able to plant our roots in one community, and um, and that's what we did. And it's been amazing because honestly, the Cerrito Center is. I was on tour all over Europe. Um, I mean, and certainly in Southern California, aside from the Pantages, which is like a, uh, you know, iconic uh, landmark and just the architecture is like stunning. Um, it is my favorite venue. If Even if I didn't, even if it wasn't our venue, I would say this. It's my favorite venue I've been in. The sound is amazing. The It looks like a Broadway house. It's It looks like a large Broadway house. It has boxes all up and down the sides and, it's one of two theaters in the world where the whole room moves on pneumatics. So we actually were able to do a show in the round um, because the stage and every aspect of the room moves. So the walls move. So we were able to do a show in the round. We were able to do a show proscenium. You can do nine different configurations, I think, of this venue. It's no wild. way. That's crazy. <laughs> it's wild. So yeah, we we then right before the pandemic, we did uh, a year ago this last fall, uh, um, we did uh, so yeah 2019 we did a production of Once in the Round and it was our very first production and we had just we had made the commitment of wanting to do one show a year in a different configuration so um, it's it's such a cool experience um, to go into that venue so we're we're so happy to call it home and so happy to be yeah finally I think in just in one place so yeah wow that's yeah. quite a journey I know <laughs> you asked a loaded question <laughs> Wow. That's like, like John Steinbeck worthy or something of, you know, of, uh, of epic of 3d theater. I'll have to write a musical for you guys just based on your journey. Oh my gosh. I know you'll have to edit a lot of that out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll fictionalize a lot of it. How about that? (laughs) Um, I, I have never been to the Cerritos performing arts center. Although it was there when I was um, when I lived yeah. in Southern because I've only been here we've only been here for like five and a half years six years maybe um, but I've heard nothing but great things about it. Um, somebody said that um, I don't know if this is you guys but I, I'd heard a lot about it when people were going and seeing a particular version of Sunset Boulevard that was there. Um, so oh, yeah. that wasn't us. Um, they I know Musical Theater West did Sunset Boulevard and they did it at the Carpenter Center. Um, and that may be what you're thinking. I don't think it toured through there, but I could be wrong. Toured you know, I th- you're right. I think it was the Carpenter Center. Yeah, yeah. I With apologize. The- well, yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, no. 
Nothing to apologize for. That was, we, that was don't mind being they're they're uh, we love musical theater West and never never an insult to be uh, confused with them. They're amazing. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, I always tell people that like theater in LA when when I describe it and like you have the big houses. You've got like um, the Amundsen and the Pantages, and then like the Mark Taper Forum, and even some of like the Geffen theaters. And then you have, for the most part, what I call garage theater. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's theater that's in black boxes and right, small and theaters. Yeah. Right. And, um, and your theater company, 3D Theatricals has been, has sort of bridged that gap. And I think that that's like super cool that you've done that. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you're probably very, very much into the administrative of the, of the, uh, of the ensemble and the company as so that kind of like takes you out of what you're actually doing and the effect that you're having on people because you're so involved in it. So I really, really think you, you and your, your people need to understand that. That's just, that's just, I'm just bossy that way though. Um, So you brought up COVID-19. I don't, not to be like the want, want, but this is a a theater called act two or the, excuse me, a, um, a series called Act Two Places right. about theater that, you know, and, and how it's affecting theater and how people are dealing with it and how they plan to to hopefully work out of it. Um, talk about that very, very, very first day. I know you know what I'm talking about. When Ooh. you found out the when the axe fell because of COVID-19 on theater, what was that like for you? You know, honestly, it's interesting because for us, it was progressive because we were so lucky. There were so many theaters that were about to open a show, in production for a show, um, whatever. And we had just closed our we had done the um, West coast regional premiere of kinky boots, the musical. And we had the Broadway sets and costumes and it was an amazing production, a big success for us, probably our largest success that we had had. And um, so we were coming off of a high uh, and we closed out the first week of March. So, you know, we're like in post-production and we had just auditioned our production of Newsies, um, which was supposed to have been in May and just had cast it and made offers and all this. And um, my birthday is March 19th. So I was like, my, my family had, uh, my, my wife and kids had planned a surprise fun thing. And um, that week, you know, everything starts shutting down. And then it became, when Disneyland shut down, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, what are we, what's about to happen? Right. Yeah. Like, Disneyland shuts down for nothing, you know? So yeah. it's like, Whoa. Oh, um, but I think at that time we knew so little. And so everyone kind of kept thinking like, Oh, maybe we'll be back by spring. Maybe we'll be back. And it just kept going, well, okay. As you get closer. Okay. Well maybe, okay. Now we'll, we'll push this show to this slot and this show to this slot. And we'll just kind of keep pushing. And then as you round each corner, you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And so I think for us, it was like, it wasn't until I think, and also we were, we, we kept our staff on payroll um, all except I think 
two people. Um, we kept them on payroll and working um, all the way um, for like three months. And then we got one of the government PPP loans. And so we were able to like keep everybody on staff and we were doing all the stuff that we never had had time to do um, when in production. So we were all really, really busy and we were, we created this um, online um, school essentially called 3DNU, which was basically a free uh, program, six classes a day, five days a week where we were um, offering artists a place to come and connect with each other, learn from each other, challenge each other, inspire each other. And we were getting brought big, huge names um, and also local artists who are just incredible at what they do. Um, people we have worked with before, some that we hadn't. And um, they, every, it was literally everything from, we had like, drag queens um from like um rupaul's drag race come and teach like drag makeup and we had like interviews with big you know named directors or um choreographers or uh you know actors or whatever and then we do like master audition master classes and makeup tutorials and you know a cooking class a, you know a, we had a, a doctor in new york um who's in the you know kind of the heat of covid19 come on and answer questions about about covid i mean we were doing like everything under the sun and it was pretty amazing because uh, we ended up getting a worldwide audience almost someone in every country when we were looking at our analytics it was unbelievable and um and the sense of community and the sense of togetherness and people especially who were having to um I, uh, stay at home by themselves who didn't right. have family or a roommate or anything um it was like everything it was just kind of inspiring and so that went on for months and um this is this is all virtual right all virtual yeah okay. it was all done over zoom okay and um then it comes to like august and and i was like well i can't there's no like light at the end of the tunnel i can't ask these teachers to keep doing this for free and then i can't ask these people to pay like the the students to pay because all these people are out of work. All artists are out of work. You know, it was like, you know, so we ended up, uh, um, closing or not closing, but stopping 3D and you, um, and then now we're in the process. Now we issue reruns every week, um, the highlights of each week. And so now those it's 3D and YouTube. And so now we send out stuff on our social media and on, uh, via our e-blast and stuff like that, uh, each week showing like what episodes are, are live. So people can actually, cause there was a bunch of people who wanted to attend. They're like, I'm working. I can attend during times. So now people can go back and rewatch those um, on YouTube and um, at their leisure and when they want to, which has been great. So we've doubled the length of the time um, of, of, and classes essentially that we did. And we did, I think it was almost 300 or just over 300 classes uh, in um, a few months, which was crazy. Um, but it was, it was the most rewarding thing. It was so, so inspirational. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, truly awesome. So we did that. And so there was a lot of distractions um, to kind of deal with it. And when we finally had to, our PPP loan stopped at the end of October and we finally had to furlough virtually everybody. And that's really when it hit me. Um, 
it hit me hard because then all of a sudden, like the immediate family, the people you see every day, work with every day, were just gone. And I'm in this office by myself. The couple people that remain, there's like two people that have like eight hours a week where they come in and we all, between the three of us, we make sure there's someone here every day to like take in the mail and answer emails and stuff like that. But um, that has just been, to hear the, the, the pin drop kind of energy um, in a theatrical environment, which is always hustle and bustle and laughter and sometimes not laughter, but I literally, I would take a complaint from any patron. I take a conflict from any actor. (laughs) I would take any, whatever it is. I, I would take it because to, to be back working again and employing people again and creating again, you know? So, but anyway, that's, that's kind of when it hit me. It was only shortly, um, just a short time ago where it was like, Oh my God, like, when are we going to, and then to find out that like the underground, even though they say Broadway, um, it was initially uh, January and they pushed it to June and the kind of word on the street is that it's really not going to be till like next fall. Um, so, I mean, when you think that we're still like a year or so away, maybe, and not even really knowing, like depending on how effective the vaccine is and where the cases drop and all that, because people keep saying like, how are we going to make theater um, safe for our audiences again? And how are we going to get people back in the theater? And I'm like, okay, we, yes, but no matter if you're able to find a way, which Broadway has already said, like we can't open at 50% capacity shows close when they're that low, right? You have to be able to sell the show out um, and, or get darn close to it to make your weekly numbers. So, um, and that goes for any theater, right? Broadway's no, it's Broadway's the same thing, more money and in New York, you know what I mean? Right, like yeah. it's the same thing for every theater, community theater on up. It's the same stakes, just different amounts of money. So um, the, um, you know, even if you were to figure out how to, how to do that, how to distance your audience, blah, blah, blah. Um, you get then to the actors, the crew, the, like, how do you have a, an actor run off stage, sweaty, heaving and puffing and whatever from some dance number and have a wardrobe person change them, like deal with their sweaty self and get them into a new costume? How do you have actors, um, d- you know, literally huffing and puffing all over each other in some mega dance number? How do you have them dance together? How do you have them kiss each other? How do you have them touch each other in any way like what we do is is such a uh human and different experience unless you were able to get testing cheap enough but unable to do it daily like they're doing on film sets essentially but like we're able to really test people like all the time and and you know whatnot you can't create I mean, you can, but audiences don't want to go back to the theater and be reminded of 2020. They don't want to see masks. They don't want to see shields. They don't want to see, you know, a socially distant, smaller show. They want to go back and see theater. I mean, I know I do. I mean, of course, I would definitely, I would love to see any theater. So sure, I would go see a socially distant show. But um I think the the short you know answer is that our industry can't really come back until a vaccine is is effective and is um, eradicating this to a point where people are not 
endangering others or themselves by going into the theater, going back to work. You know, you're hoping for next fall, but again, we don't know how this vaccine that they're hopefully rolling out here very soon is going to ultimately play out. So we're all trying to reinvent ourselves and stay relevant and do what we can to keep creating and, and, you know, await our, our time to come back. On, on Broadway, they, they probably need about, I don't know, two or three months just to get everybody back up to speed. Oh yeah. They'll have to go back into rehearsals and all kinds of things. Yeah. Right. right all the machinery that they work with, particularly in musicals and, have to get all like yeah rechecked out and all that yeah so, yeah and I, I presume that you know most, most people aren't 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 picking up work but if they're picking up other work just to survive uh, maybe recasting has to be done here and there so I I always tell everyone you're going to see results and then maybe right. like three or two three four months down the line that's when it will occur and you're right I mean um, the, these people are are uh, constantly, you know, intimate with each other, not in a sexual way, but spitting on each other and sweating on each other. And, and it's not, like you said, it's not just the actors to the actors, it's the actors to the crew. So um, it's. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, but to your point, like if, if it's three, three or four months later, if our vaccine is going to be readily available by the spring, then the fall is, is likely, which, you know, it's feels forever from now, but, it will be here before we do. Cause I can't believe it's been nine months. Like a life could have been created in the time that we have been uh, doing this whole COVID thing. So, you know, it will be here before we know it and what a feeling it will be. I, I will probably fall apart like, and cry when I hear an audience react to a show in person again, just to see it, hear it, feel it, experience it. I just, I don't know how I'm going to get through that first show. It's going to be so emotional and amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's probably for your first production back. It's going to happen every night for a while. Oh yeah. Because oh, people yeah. are going to be like, yeah, yeah, finally we can do Yeah. <laughs> we can enjoy this. Um, yeah. <laughs> now you, you did so many wonderful things um, uh, virtually. It, what has surprised you the most about your fellow artists' reaction to the COVID-19 crisis and, and in relation to what you've done? What, what's, what's, where, has somebody said or done something where you went, wow, I never expected that out of, out of you or out of, out of anybody in this situation? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's as much that I didn't, I think that I am, I said recently, I've been watching myself doing my own journey, but um, with others, I've been watching in kind of awe and with so much respect and admiration for how people have had to reinvent themselves and figure out other passions. And I think honestly, like this time as horrible and as trying as it is for so many. And of course, like, you know, you wouldn't wish it on anyone, but to look at some kind of silver lining, I think, I feel like we definitely are all going to come back out of this as better artists because we'll have gone through so much um, and discovered 
um, and or rediscovered things about ourselves and um, ta- talents that we had, this, old dreams that we had, um, you know, that we've all had to go back and, and either re-examine or rediscover and to go, wow, our business is deemed um, not um, essential. And so how do we become essential, you know, and how do we um, figure that out? So just watching people, um, uh, so many artists that I've worked with and friends, um, it's just been inspiring to see people rise up and rise above and figure it out and um, await, you know, of course, not giving up on our industry and on their talents and abilities and, and on the dream and hope of coming back. But going, okay, well, while, I, while we wait, this is what I'm going to do. And that's been truly like the most amazing thing to see. Cool. And it sounds like people were, were just loving doing it, uh, teaching it, participating in it. Um, you, you gave them something to hang on to. That was amazing. And that was, that was cool. Yeah, that it did surprise me how many people were willing to come and do that for free because us as our, we, we are so protective of our, cause whatever we do, we're, we're, we're our product, right. Our individual like product, we're protective of that to not just give it away because, you know, you're devaluing yourself when you do that. Um, and everyone was, it, 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 the sense of community was, um, insane. It was like, I, I'm sure like it, what it was like living in New York to have a very quite horrible comparison, but living in New York during nine 11, how our country, but certainly in New York, everyone just came together. And that I feel like our entertainment industry definitely has had its, we've, we've completely exploded, imploded, however you want to put it. And because of our world is evaporated. And so to watch that sense of community come together and truly help each other and reach out to each other. And that's been awesome. That's been so, so amazing. How about the Southern California theater community overall? Um, how are your, are your peers taking this? How are they handling it? Or just, what have you read? What have you heard? Yeah. Um, kind of, I, I know that like the, the theaters, the major theaters out here, um, we all, talk um semi-often and and update each other on on anything that we hear or that we know and um you know everyone is doing their own thing like um some are doing uh, virtual concerts some are doing drive-in concerts and some are you know um, using their social media platforms to um help give voices to artists uh you know give uh, give them their platforms i mean there's so many things that people are doing to remain relevant and remain active and to help still continue to support their community in some way and support artists. Um, Artists themselves, um, you know, seem to be for the most part, of course, there are some that are doing very, very well. And some that are, and haven't really seen, especially if they're more film and TV side, because that has come back for the, for the most part to a degree. Um, uh, and then there are some that are still mostly, I'm sorry, mostly because it has the money to exactly right to, exactly to, right. to protect exactly everyone and the funding. Exactly. Right. And some that are still drowning, you know, and feeling lost and hopeless and, and, um, 
you know, so it's, it's a lot and people that are in the middle. So there's a wide spectrum. Um, but mostly I feel like mostly most people are in this middle range where they're making it work and we all are desperate to come back together again and do what we do. And, um, but we're figuring it out and remaining, uh, mostly positive. Um, it's very hard out here in California because we're in one of those States that, um, has a lot of in entitled people who, um, feel that like they don't need to wear a mask or that COVID is not really affecting them. And, um, that's very tough because, um, we just watched our whole economy like shut back down again. I was out, um, Today I had to get my, I was helping my brother um, get his car smog checked and going into do that and watching the people working there, half of them with masks on, half of them without masks on. And, you know, we got asked to perform at a church recently, um, our acapella group that we have as another um, aspect of 3D theatricals that um, has been able to still um, somewhat be active um, performing during this time. Um you know, this church was like, we, you know, we don't care about masks. We're not afraid of this. We, we preach freedom and this and that. And I'm just kind of like, Oh no, like, <laughs> like this is like, this is why, this is why we are having so many problems and why we can't get it together. And it's just so sad to see a country that is, you know, supposed to be the most powerful country in the world, just failing miserably at this, at the pandemic um, situation. So that's been frustrating because it affects so many, but obviously entertainment and restaurants and, you know, down the line, you know, theme parks, all of it, you know, cruise ships. I mean, like there's so many industries that have just been decimated by this. Um, and, uh, so it's hard. That's the hard part about being in California is that we are in a, in a hot spot, um, that is not taking it seriously as a whole. So that's been really, really tough. Uh, we appear to be sort of, 50 50 60 40 depending upon where you are as far as commitment towards the masking and the social distancing and i always just think when this is over do i what side of that do i want to be on do i want to be on the on the side that that took the vaccine and social distance and and um wore a mask and and stayed in a one-bedroom apartment for nine months to help us um flatten the curve and keep people safe and well, or do I want to be on the side that decided not to social distance and not to wear masks um, because of, I know people are saying, you know, political reasons um, uh, or distrust of the medical community. I don't know. Um, but to me, it feels like the bottom, those are just excuse, excuses for, I don't want to be inconvenienced. Exactly right. You know, and it's just, <sighs> I know it, it, it makes me crazy. Of course I've been in New York, which is we got it first. And I know. Yeah. I tell people and like you, we saw like refrigeration trucks parked around the city in front of, of morgues and in front of funeral right. homes because they just couldn't keep up with it. Um, uh, yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah. It, I mean, it really, horrifying. really is, but you know, a lot of people are like, ah, it's not affecting me now. So I don't care. And yeah, it's it's highly irresponsible, and it makes me crazy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it really is. It's insane. Um, 
In your opinion, what will theater look like post-COVID-19? Well, I mean, certainly I'm hoping a few different things. I'm hoping um, on the COVID-19 aspect of stuff, I I mean, I think that all of us are definitely going to be more... Because in in an industry that is so... um, Personal bubbles are... uh, often can't be because again, like you have someone helping change your, you know, change your clothes or, or you're sitting next to someone in a dressing room, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know I mean? Like those are, or you're, someone's putting on your wig for you or putting on your mic for you or whatever. I, so I think that there will certainly be some adjustments that I, I, I'm assuming and, and things to make it that much more safe. But I, I don't know how different, our industry can function and look um, without so much of it being kind of reinvented, like the way that the backstage aspect of things go and certainly on stage. So I'm hoping, I'm not hoping, I guess, I I hope that it is of course safer, but I anticipate that it won't look much different from an audience's point of view. Um, And I, uh, yeah, for for the audience, of course, there will be, I'm sure, a, a lot of things in place with temperature checks and, you know, even with a vaccine in place, I'm sure that there's still going to be a lot of those things that will need to be implemented um, to um, add um, a sense of safety um, when you're in this space. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's kind of a hard hard thing to answer and a hard thing to predict, but I I'm hoping that it won't look too different. Um, in that respect, the thing that I, I do think will be, and, and thankfully so very different is, um, you know, one of the, uh, major things that happened in 2020, of course, was the, um, resurgence of the black lives matter movement. And, um, our industry had, uh, like, like many, um, but specifically just speaking to our industry had, uh, a lot of, um, atoning to do for, um, past, uh, sins, if you will, of not, uh, being as inclusive of a space or claiming to be inclusive and, um, and, and not being, whether that be intentional or or just for a lack of knowledge or a lack of people on your board, on your staff, on whatever it is, you know what I mean, to not have those um, thoughts be prevalent in every decision that you make. Um, so I think that when we come back from this, um, especially like the the people that are, are a little bit more old school and, and or have been doing it for such a long time, like there's tried and true casting directors in New York that cast everything are going to have to really re-examine as well as the creatives and the producers really re-examine their practices, you know, as we all will. But of course it all stems from the top. Um, There are people at the regional level who really crack open their own egg and they make their own omelet. And they're like, this is how I'm going to reinvent this show and retell this story and do it my own way. And there is a vast majority of people they want to bring their audience like what was on Broadway, you know what I mean? Like, and they want to really recreate that. And they in turn then have a kind of, a, in my opinion, there are certain shows to do that with probably um, where you want to, you know, have 
that choreography or those sets or those costumes or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I think that there is a lot, a, a tremendous lack of imagination when it comes to, I'm going to cast a brunette and a blonde because this part was a blonde and a brunette on Broadway. When in reality, the actors that they cast in life were probably those hair colors and those hair colors, those wigs were made to fit or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they were cast. It, it just is, we have a, a big problem with in our industry with the way things are looked at to go and celebrate the fact that there's been like in a show like Wick that is a machine that has been around for, you know, many, 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 many years now to have like one or two women of color ever having played Alphaba, who is a green person. <laughs> she is green. She's not white. She's not yellow. She's not black. She's green. Um, and color shouldn't matter in this land of fantasy anyway. Like the fact that Glinda has historically only ever really been white. Um, you know, why? You know, there's, and that's one example of like, obviously a, a million. But um, I think that we are going to hopefully come back to a more genuinely inclusive environment with all of us taking the time to do the work to make sure we're not just doing it performatively, but we're doing it genuinely and we're doing it, you know, because we, it's the right thing to do and to, and to just make sure that we're making those decisions consciously all the time. So that is my hope that that's the biggest change that we will see in theater when we come back is how it looks that way. I agree. And I will say this. um, I was fortunate enough to see the one and only actor of color to play Glinda Oh, you uh, did! Oh, I did. Yes. Lucky. Yeah, I don't. I, I forget her last name. Her first name is Brittany, but yes, yeah, she was phenomenal. She's like in my top three of Glenda's, and I've seen it. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'll just be like, I want to go see Wicked tonight. And since I can, I do. Yeah. But, um, I I sought her out, and she was terrific. I mean, the audience mm-hmm. didn't bat an eye. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, because I w- I was looking, I was like. How, how is this affecting because Wicked is legendary, obviously. And those two, two roles are people who see that show, I would say 50, 60% of the audience knows that show right. before they walk into to it. But um, she, she was phenomenal. I hope that when they come back, they, they put her in the lead. I do too. I, I, um, you know, I, I, a friend of mine, we were having this conversation. I think it was on a 3D and U class too. And it's like, my family, I have, uh, so my, we have an adopted son who's black. And when we go out, like nobody, we don't have that written all over our our bodies or, or whatever. It's like we have, that is our family. That is what our family looks like. You know what right. I mean? And so it's like if you cast a production of Next to Normal and the mom looks this way and the dad looks this way and the daughter looks this way or whatever – that's their family. And it's, there's, unless the script is dictating, like they talk about, and even then it's like, you know, people I think will, like you say, they won't bat an eyelash and they'll just accept it. There's some people that don't. And some people that have issues with that. If like they're specifically, like, they talk about the show or in the show, like um, having biological connections to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just say, this is the family, that's the family and people accept it and they move on and they they're there to listen to the story. But it's like, yeah, with something like wicked, it's like, 
they, they shouldn't bat an eyelash. And it's amazing to hear that that was your experience in the theater because, and that she was so amazing because that's the way it should be. It should be that the best person for the part gets the part regardless of their color. If they are white, they get the part. If they are black, they get the part. If they're Asian, they get the part, etc. But it's having, making sure that there is people on the other side of the table that are genuinely looking out for those decisions to happen and to get the people in the room initially to have the opportunity to be seen and to be the best for the part, you know what I mean? And to give them those opportunities. But there's a lot of people of color who aren't even training to do certain things because they, they themselves have been told they're never going to be cast in such and such a part or in the, you know what I mean? In, in this way. So they don't even train, whether it be vocally or dance wise or whatever in certain aspects, because it's like, they've been told that's not for you. And so it's my hope that like, that schools, which is where a lot of this starts in collegiate programs and in like high school, like um, performing arts high schools and stuff, that they really start breaking those molds early. And they tell those, those kids to go into a room and to be the person that changes the mind of the person that is narrow-minded. You know what I mean? Go in and sing for the part that you want, that you feel like you're going to be the best for you know, you don't give up and don't play. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Um, Cause if I wouldn't have a theater company, if someone told me that, you know what I mean? Like I, you have to chase the dream that you are after and chase it as hard as you can. And eventually you will wake somebody up. And I think 2020 was a big wake up call for hopefully most people, but we know unfortunately that it isn't all people. That's not the way that this works. So there still is going to be battles to fight and still an uphill climb. But um, I think that most, I think I'm hoping that many people are on, on the right journey and the right path for them to, to come back with this particular issue, um, you know, way more educated and, and um, ready to be genuinely inclusive when we, when we come back. So that's what I'm hoping. If, if I didn't do all the things people told me I couldn't do, I wouldn't have accomplished probably 90% of what I have. Um, so I agree with you on that. You know, don't, don't listen to that. Listen to your internal voice and, and try, even if you're the one who's, who's changing the conversation and changing the narrative, that's, that's still a much better place to be than just throwing your hands in the air. And, yeah. and giving up. And I'm glad you carried the football there for a while, TJ, because I had a chance to look up um, the actor, and her name is Brittany Johnson. Oh, yeah. Brittany Johnson. Yeah. She, I heard, because I have uh, friends in the company uh, of the Broadway company Wicked who had just said she's incredible. She is. Wow. I was absolutely, completely blown away by her performance. And again, one of my top three, and I saw the original cast of this show. I am that old that I saw the original cast of Wicked (laughs) a long time ago, but I love it. Yeah. If, you know, if, if when, when theater comes back here, if we're lucky enough to have her back in that part, I definitely recommend going and seeing her. She's, she was stunningly good. Uh, Loved it. Um, Well, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go, but before I do, can you please give our audience 
your uh, social media information. If you have one place that they can go where they can click off into other places that you have, that's, that's usually best. But, you know, if there's a couple more that you'd like to mention, that's fine too. Absolutely. Well, the main one would be um, our um, our three D theatricals uh, social is just at three D theatricals plural three the number three the letter D theatricals um, is our Instagram and of course uh, you can find us on Facebook and then www.3dtheatricals.org is our website. Um, and then if you are interested in following me personally, I'm at TJ Dawson eighty one uh, on Instagram. So cool. Yeah. Cool. Now, are you going to uh, try to resume the season that you that was so sadly taken away from you uh, from COVID with um, looks like King and I uh, new yeah. season? Great question, uh, and I'll try to briefly answer. I've been so long winded, so I'm so sorry. There's That's been a, no, like, oh, right. there's someone to talk about. There's someone to talk to right now about right. our industry. This is exciting. So um, anyway, awesome. um, yeah, our. Um, We've definitely our first show back will be Newsies whenever okay. we come back. Um, that had been cast, we had all that in place, and we're definitely going to proceed with that. Um, the King and I, we hope to proceed with, but we're going to be entering into some conversations at at some point. I want to open up a a, a private um, like Zoom conversation with um, Asian actors who, because I, that this show and Miss Saigon um, are two shows that have recently kind of come under fire, which Miss Saigon was an unannounced show that we um, had in our plans to do in the, in the next season. And I want to make sure that um, if we do do these shows, that we are doing them responsibly, respectfully, and that um, we are not um, perpetuating any kind of, wrong stereotypes and it's like we have to reprogram ourselves because like king and i is a show that i is one of my all-time favorite classic shows but i'm a white person and i don't know what that would mean if i were an and i know asian people it's their favorite show but some of them are going well is it my favorite show because it got me a job or do i actually really like that show and what it means and what it stands for you know i mean there's so many things to talk about and i want to listen and and do a lot of listening and a lot of thinking uh uh, Miss Saigon, same things. So um, uh, I don't know what yet. I know that there are several shows that we have the rights to that we have been unannounced um, that we're very excited about. Some regional premieres, um, some um, including, I think I can say this, I think uh, Bandstand is one that I'm super excited about. It was such a an amazing show on Broadway. I love that show. Oh yeah. man. It was like, should have had, it should still be running. It was so good. And some others I probably can't say, but um, we, we definitely um, are re looking at what will follow newsies. And luckily we have some time. So likely like after the holidays, we'll probably open up some of those discussions so that we have enough time to plan for hopefully, uh, you know, we'll do a show if it's next fall, newsies would be next fall. And then we wouldn't come back again with another show until, um, February of 2023, <laughs> 2022, excuse me. What year is it? 2022. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're about two weeks away from 21. So <laughs> that sounds a little better. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, no, not 23. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those of you who are listening, who are fans of Bandstand and Newsies, I've, um, 
interviewed Corey Cott a couple of times. Oh, amazing. On my show. I've interviewed his brother as well. Um, he, they are both like really, really cool guys. They're amazing. very, very like family focused and not just, you know, they're like Corey has a, a wife and kids, but their family in Ohio where they live, they yeah. do, ben, they did a benefit that I, I went to, uh, to help with one of their local theaters and I was uh, the, the next time I, I interviewed him uh, was one of my last in, I think my last interview before COVID. COVID. Yeah, and it was I interviewed him and um, and Laura Osnes, who they were awesome. both in bandstand uh, because he was performing in her uh, group Broadway Princess Party, which is like this group of princesses from Broadway who go and yeah, sing yeah. and all. Yeah, yeah, and, I know. Yeah, yeah so they. They were really, 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 really nice. Um, and I, uh, I saw a show closing weekend, and I was, um, I, I, I was so inspired by the whole thing. I just thought it was, and he was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but oh my gosh, what a what an incredible show! So I'm so excited to bring that to Southern California at some point. So yeah, that will be a lot of fun. Robbed. Of a Tony nomination. Completely. Robbed. It was all in, the, unfortunately, I think the title and the marketing of the show, I, when we, when I went, I was told to go see it by people who wanted us to produce it. And I was like, okay. And I honestly was not excited because I thought I was seeing like another like swing, like a, not a plot based show, but just going to be like a concert with like cool dance and music or whatever. And while that's great, it's just like, I'm such a plot. Like I love a good, you know, book. And from the moment that show started, I was like, what, what am I in for right now? And then Beth level comes out, all these people. Are, and I was like, are you kidding me? I, I interviewed Beth um, on 3d and you and uh, we talked a lot about bands. It's just, it, what an amazing show. So yeah, I am very excited to, to, to bring it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I also, um, I, I should mention, cause I, I definitely want to mention that I interviewed the pit drummer of the show because bandstand has an orchestra that has, that's in the orchestra pit. Oh yeah. And then then it's also the story of a band with real live actors playing, playing music. Yeah. They're playing instruments up there with their musicians as well. And Adam Wolf, who was the pit drummer of the show, I interviewed him and he's, he's, he's great too. So if you're ever interested, you know, anybody who's listening, go back and, and listen to those they were they were um, outstanding outstanding guests and so God, cool. I, I would love to interview Beth Level. Oh, I she's amazing. She is love such a her. Cool. Yeah, she is like she's she's a she's a dream. She was so much fun, so much fun. Yeah, I just I remember her back from the Drowsy Chaperone and how great she was, and I saw the original cast of that too. Same, I saw that out here at the, at the Amundsen, and it was just like. Who is this person? She yeah, just like life altering performance, just amazing. So that was the out of town. Yeah. And wasn't that the one where Sutton Sutton Foster had a broken I saw arm? Her with her cast on. Yep, sure did. And she was flawless with like she literally never missed a beat, just did everything without one of her arms. It was unbelievable. <laughs> you never even noticed. It was so cool. She's she's a total pro. Uh, very very much looking forward to seeing Beth Level in the musical version of The Devil Wears Prada. I know, I, I know, know. It's gonna be, that's, so cool. Yeah, It'd be amazing. Uh, I love that. Like Beth is 
doing that version, doing the stage version of Devil Wears Prada, and Meryl Streep did the film version of the prompt, which I can't wait to watch tonight. I, I know oh, that I didn't even like connect that. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so crazy. They're playing each other's parts. <laughs> did I actually out nerd you in theater? You did, hundred percent, hundred percent. You did. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go uh, because. Um, I know that you have responsibilities and um, I'm actually kind of running out of weight in here. I've yeah. had <laughs> the best time talking to you. You too, sir. And I really, really appreciate you uh, being a guest on your program is your ticket and being so open and, and, you know, telling, being truthful with me about how you felt even when things were, were tough and bad. And that's, yeah. I think that's what, what's going to bring, people closer and when they hear things like that the world gets a little bit smaller and safer for them so yeah so i wish you all the best of luck sorry i wish you all the broken legs (laughs) i should edit that part we've had enough good luck in the theater so best a million broken legs break all those legs that's right right. exactly (laughs) for for the future of 3d theatricals and thank you uh, tj dawson thank you so much for being a guest on your program is your ticket Thank you so much, Sean, for having me. You have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you. You too. My pleasure. Bye. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to 3D Theatrical's amazingly talented executive producer and artistic director, TJ Dawson. He was wonderful. You can find more episodes of your program as your ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with the place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Again, that's bpn. Dot fm slash ypiyt your program is your ticket is also on facebook at facebook.com your program is your ticket i'm on twitter at at program ticket i'm also on itunes stitcher player fm podcast addict podbean pocket casts deezer tune in listen notes and the uk-based theater platform thespy FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. It really helps to uh, enhance my profile, and I appreciate that. A quick thanks to North Coast NYC, the hip-hop improv theater ensemble that does my intro and outro music. You might be hearing it right now. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer as we transition through and out of this pandemic. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, Donate, donate, donate. That's the fastest way that you can help. Thanks for listening, and until our next show, so long, theater people, and Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.